0: Hey, what's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wrapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today on the live stream, I welcome Tim Kelly, who owns Purple Monster Corals. I love that name, Tim. Um, Purple Thank Monster you. Corals is a coral export business in the Solomon Islands. What's happening, man? I guess uh, you had a little technical difficulties in your end. The power company wasn't cooperating
1: yeah yeah they, they never do and they, they always choose the best as in most inopportune times to uh just shut the power off
0: so we sorted <laughs> it out yeah no i'm, I'm glad uh I go, i'm glad we got you and, you and you figured it out on your end before um we start chatting with tim i do want to thank the sponsors for the show both bulk resupply and ecotech marine really appreciate them supporting the show and I also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in and watching please hit that like button if you haven't done so already and um yeah so more people can find the stream And as usual, always encourage you to ask questions, post your comments in the chat. So Tim, man, you have a very um, interesting background as a diver, coral collector in the Solomon Mm -hmm. Islands. You used to work Mm -hmm. for Triton, you know, as well as unique corals in the Solomon Islands. Can you kind of give everybody a background in your history there?
1: Sure. Um, Let's see. So I worked for uh, fish stores all my life. You know, going through high school, I worked at fish stores, managed fish store, and then – I eventually ended up at at uh, Vivid Aquariums when it was like on the bleeding edge of internet coral sales yeah. and did retail for them and then uh used that as a as an inroads to work at the wholesale 100, 104th street. It's it's not quite the hundred and fourth street it, it was say a few, you know, a decade or two back, but it's still, you know, there's still several businesses there. So uh got in 104th Street and managed Pacific Aqua Farms for a bit under Dave Palmer and um a number maybe a year in, he had asked me to come out to the Solomons uh, to consult on just sort of figure out where the weaknesses were in the business out here, and I fell in love with the place, and so uh, came back out here uh, after after that. Worked for STC, went to the Marshall Islands. Uh, that was an experience: uh, deep water fish collecting. You know, diving to 150, 200 feet twice a day, wow. uh, catching you know multicolor angels and uh, multicolor angels, hellbarks, firefish, uh, mystery rasses, stuff like that. Uh, and then after that, went, to, uh, went back to servicing. Serviced uh, Malibu in that area for oh, oh, almost a decade. Um, and then went to work for, uh, actually, it was through Jake. Jake really actually made the connection to Triton. He put me on Eson's radar. And Eson put me in contact with, uh, with Joe of Unique Corals. And uh, we, did, uh, we, we did Triton. Basically, I, I did the dry goods side in Triton and helped develop that. And then um, came back out here in 2015. Uh, while was servicing, came back out with Jake to, uh, to go find Purple Monster, and that's actually why I chose the name of the business, was sort of honoring that, um, that expedition we did and sort of that adventure, um, and I just want to keep that sort of sense of adventure about, about the corals out here, and, you know, it's kind of the, one of the least de- developed or least explored places, uh, reef-wise or, or reef hobbyist, you know, diver-wise. And um, sort you know, sort of highlight the exploration side of what we're doing here. So came back out here in 2015 and then in 2018 was looking to start a business out here. So the old business under Dave Palmer had shut down, and um, there was sort of a there was a space for it.
0: So that was what got me out here. How, how challenging is it to start a business in the Solomon Islands, man? That's got to be kind of a uh, you know to be an entrepreneur in a foreign country and, and, and yeah like the Solomon if, Islands, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot of hurdles.
1: Oh man, um, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. If it's an incredibly difficult place to be entrepreneurial, um, there's no pathway whatsoever. You really just have to sort of come in and um, maybe a, a, I'm lacking the, the the verbiage for it, but just a stupid level of um, of uh, tenacity and just not giving up, even when you're getting these just like hits after hits. I mean, survive through COVID, uh, didn't give up during COVID when we couldn't export for what a year and a half it was just a the, the, the business was just a money sink for a year and a half and I think a lot of people would have just said cool you know you, you gave it a best shot and it was like no, no no this is this is what I've got we're gonna <laughs> stick we're gonna make this work um yeah so it the level of tenacity required is is um crazy so I think all like anybody in the business who has a business here would say you have to have a really good sense of humor because sometimes you just get hit with goofy stuff like today you know like oh the power shut off no explanation why. No reason why. There's nothing broken. It's just it's just off. So there's uh, no like uh, there's
0: no like website you go to for the power company to see the status of an outage. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. And you know, I was I was saying off air how power is four times the price of anywhere else in the you know in, in the world, or at least four times the price in the United States. It's the most expensive in the South Pacific, and I believe the world, in fact. And uh, there's no caring about ratepayers or anything. It's just uh, it's off. Deal with it. So, yeah
0: yeah yeah Uh, well listen it uh i mean in in terms of just the hobby itself in terms of reef keeping you have to have a lot of patience you have to have um you got to you know really kind of slug through a lot of things that don't go your way and and i can also uh you know imagine just it gets multiplied 10 times you know doing what you're doing over there take us through um you know exactly what a coral exporter is kind of like what's what's a day in the life of a coral exporter and and how do you um you know manage your clients on the other end of the globe Sure. Um, so
1: it's you know, there's not like a manual, right? So you, it it kind of is one of those businesses as you define it, right? Um, it's not like there's 50 guys or 50 people in the world doing this. We're all we're all kind of our own entrepreneurs, sort of paving our own path. Um, but you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't already come out and and seen the corals from an existing. So the the real the real trailblazer would be Dave Palmer. I mean, he was out here in 1992, mm. um, and you know he's got stories and stories and stories. I hope you have them on, you have them on, because um, the guy has crazy stories. But uh, so he really largely blazed the trail. Uh, so I'm sort of picking up pieces of, of you know, the pieces I like. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a fish collector. And so fish collecting is kind of fallen by the wayside. A lot of people do fish in, in, in my role. Um, so managing customers it's hard it's only actually like in the days of no email and only you know long distance cable to cable phone communication i don't know how they did it Mm. you know having email having uh when i was here in 2015 or 2008 uh good luck loading a web page you could take 10 minutes just to get a web (laughs) page up so getting an email out really difficult let alone setting photos now people are asking for you know whizzy on all the corals that you send them i mean the amount of data and information that can be traded you know we're live skyping in my neighborhood now, which, which is crazy. You know, um, even in 2018, when I first moved here, um, the, the best, the best option for data like this was to have a big pole, big, uh, basically a microwave dish that pointed to a tall building in town where they would broadcast from a satellite dish that they had. Um, it was during COVID that they put a, um, a fiber optic cable and actually sort of like brought Haniara into right. having actual like data rates so we can do this. But yeah, this would have been impossible possible just a few years ago. So, Keeping contact—it's hard. Um, it's hard being a one-man show. Um, I'm the diver. I'm the packing team. I'm the you know interfacing with customers. I'm doing banking. I'm doing you know management of employees and training. So it's—I wear a lot of hats, and um, it's hard sometimes keeping in track of customers. And honestly, I think if there's a communication is probably my weakest point to be to be completely clear so that's something that i'm still working on is that hammering are you hearing that's that? that's
0: cool man you know you're you're in okay. the field there so you know it kind of adds to the effect i think that's cool okay <laughs> um so i mean how how so how often like how many days out of the week would you actually go on and do some collecting
1: ideally uh it's not as much said like i mean the, the diving is where i get personal enjoyment out of this like my my happiest place right my happy place uh is diving is, is is being underwater and collecting, and it's it's less fun when it's for work. Anytime you turn your work into your career, you commoditize your your hobby. But diving is what I enjoy the most. I, I probably get two days on a good week, two days underwater on a good week. Uh, typically, that's you know two to three dives a day. If it's shallow, they're longer. Um, if it's you know if we're collecting locones, we're talking 45 minutes underwater, come up for an hour, or 45 minutes under again. Um, but that's two days a week. It would be more given, given in my ideal situation, you know, this time next year, uh, I'll be out five days a week. When I first got out here in 2018 as consultant, uh, I would, I basically lived with the two full-time divers and I, I'd be out five days a week. You know, we'd catch our own fish. We'd live out on a little Island for a couple days at a time, wow. come back in with our haul and go right back out there. And then we were only home Saturday and Sunday to sort of like re re gear up for the next week. I loved that. That was, that was really life-changing. So, wow.
0: So, um, so what kind of, um, are you basically collecting stony corals? Is that, uh, your focus? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Stony corals and then collecting, collecting corals like wild coral and then collecting brood stock for farming. So, um, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, it's one thing to find a really cool coral. It's another thing to be able to go back and get it repeatedly. Um, you know, if a coral is rare, if corals an, at, at this point in the market, as I see it, uh, if a coral is interesting, it's because it's rare and no one's ever seen it before. And, if it's rare for me, there's there's probably not a whole lot of it. And you know, what are they, if I see a one in thousand corals, it'd be nice if I can, you know, send to the customer, send a good amount to a customer, and then, you know, six months later, a year from now, I'd be able to collect more. So I think, um, you know, purple monster would be a, a good example of that. Um, I found some, uh, and. Now we're able to start producing it, so it could be a more repeatable experience. So it's not something that only ever you know. Seven years ago was the last time that we collected some. I don't want it to be another seven years before we collect more of it. So,
0: um, so. you you just found some more purple monster. You found it seven years ago and last, last week. week. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wow! Last and, week and so yeah. um, very interesting i uh, i love the purple monster i mean it's i actually have the um i have a um original
1: saw the article i saw the article i was really happy about that yeah yeah.
0: and starting to uh been propagating and starting to uh spread around it's a tough one man you know i mean obviously uh you're you're very much well aware of it but uh i had it um a few years ago a number of years ago in an old tank in Connecticut where I used to live and it just grew really, really well for me. You know, I had it under metal halides Mm -hmm. and it, um, it, how was the flow? Flow was good. Flow Flow was good. And what I'm seeing,
1: what I'm seeing in C2 everywhere where I've, where I've seen it. Um, and you know, if I, (laughs) there was a time where I was the only show in town and I would probably be a little more liberal with, you know, where I'm finding it. Uh, but where I am seeing it flow is not crazy. It's not a, um, it's a it's an obscure little loca- little niche environment where it likes to be and it's not there with the you know where you're finding robusta you know things that are fighting against waves things that are propping themselves up against wave action it's it's not going to be there and uh, it's not going to be where you're seeing you know fast growing stuff like um uh, like Millipora, you know, it's, it's in its own little niche environment, but it likes a lot of light, doesn't like a lot of flow.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So. Because now the, um, the piece that I have now, I've got it both under halides and an LADs in another system. And, um, yeah, you know, there is a decent amount of flow in that, uh, in, in those tanks and it's not the same kind of growth mm-hmm. that I had uh, years and years ago. So, um, I wonder because I, the, the, go I, ahead.
1: I'd be inclined to think it likes halides a lot more too. It likes that warm, warm, yellowy light. Um, you know, it's purple. It, it doesn't show off well under blue lights. It really doesn't. It doesn't have that. It's it's a reflective pigment, not a um, not a uh, uh, fluorescent pigment. And um, yeah, like like most purple things. But this one in particular, uh, in shallow water, in shallow shallow water, it is it's rich purple and looks you know healthy as can be. You might get a little green fluorescence, yes. but um, yeah, metal halide type light, shallow water.
0: Yeah, you know it. Um... It, 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 it is really something that is a challenge because uh, you know I've, I've grown a piece from a frag. It's been a few years you know I've been growing it out as a frag and, and maybe now it's a four inch mini colony mm-hmm. that I have but um, it's a um, it grew very well for me under metal halides a number of years ago, but I also ran those halides on magnetic ballast. And now I have electronic ballast. So I wonder if that also has something to do with it or not. You know, hmm. I think the par was probably higher um, when I had the better growth on it. But um, that's cool, man. So you, um, it, what, what, what does this mean for the um, for the uh, marketplace? I mean, if you found it again, how um, how long do you think it would take you to export that? Uh, to, uh... I mean, I think it... It's tough. So I would say it's as a
1: slow grower, even, even oceanic, it's a slow grower. It's going to be at least six months before we're seeing any sort of mariculture trickle out. Um, but I don't want to, you know, dangle it like a carrot either. That's not fair to customers either. Right. Yeah. But I wouldn't have named my company purple monster corals if we couldn't, you know, support, <laughs> you know, demand for it. Um, like, you know, you know, again, I'm not trying to you know, manipulate markets by throttling it back. It's just a slow growing coral and it's really hard to find. It's yeah. I haven't seen it in person in seven years. Um, and the last one we did, uh, the area where we went. So in 2015, uh, uh Jake wrote an article about us coming out here. Uh, we had gone to one side of, of, uh, of central province to collect deep water chalice you know mud loving corals and then three days into a the better part or four days into a better part of a two-week trip like goal achieved we we saw what we need to see we collected what we need to see and it's like well we've got a week and a half what do you want to do dude and so <laughs> you know i had heard on a rumor where where purple was originally located and so like w- you know hit the phone book hit connections and and sort of found where we thought it was went there and uh, and saw it and we actually saw it Right when we got there, it was you know it was snorkeling. It wasn't like we we spent three days trying to find it. We saw it right when we got off the boat, and I was like, "All right,
0: wow. let's have
1: a beer." And you know that, that's like <laughs> so actually, actually my, my Facebook profile photo was like ten minutes after we found it, and it was just like mission achieved, you know. And uh, so we're sitting on a reef and just basking in in success of finding it, and so thinking that we could just go back there anytime uh, in 2019, Jake was visiting me again. And I was busy doing the logistics and legal aspects of setting this business up still and getting relicensed for the year. And so I was like, you know, go without me and uh, take a lot of photos. And that was when he did the Simons Bay photos in Central Province and, and found like a, like a bank vault of cool corals. Didn't find Purple Monster there. And he went to the reef where Purple Monster was, and it was, he was skunked. They had a cyclone since between 2015 and 2018 wow. Cyclone, it wiped out. It was gone. He could not find it and spent, spent I want to say, the better part of a full day, you know – hardcore looking for it and couldn't find it so um that was a huge that was a huge loss but uh yeah it's around i mean the way that we always reassure ourselves like just because we saw one doesn't mean you know millions of years got this coral there it's not like it's a one of a kind you know just that that patch was knocked out
0: so what's the story behind who originally collected the, the uh the purple monster do you know
1: So, uh, it was a local collector, uh, who just collected off of his front, you know, off of his front yard effectively. Hmm. Um, he was actually, he's the brother-in-law of the guy who owns the property, but, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a collector and was sending corals to, uh, Dave Palmer in the early nineties. So he's one of the first collectors to be supplying him with fish and corals, or it was probably fish. And then as they got into corals, corals and, and, uh, it hit and it, 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 you know, through the. You know, through coming into the, the center, uh, the export center in Haniara under, under Dave Palmer, under Aquarium Arts, I think they're calling it, I don't think it was Pacific Aquafarms at the time, I think it was Aquarium Arts, could have been Solomon Sea Stones. it had a couple of different names, but uh, it came in, went to Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. Steve Tyree picked it right. up, and under Tyree, he developed the name, he has all the credit for the naming on that, and then developed the whole system of, like, wait-listing for a coral, because the demand was insane, and it was a slow grower, um, that he was able to keep the strain alive for so long, is it's a finicky coral in California. um yeah so i think um like the stuff that we had collected in 2015 um i don't know how much is still in captivity uh from from that batch
0: so it's just it's a finicky core. yeah you know the 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 article jake wrote about it you know i think what he said was that um the i guess you guys went on a mission to find the original tyree purple monster you you found some Mm -hmm. um purple monster i think what he also said was that you know anything short of like dna testing would You know, you can't prove that it is the actual um, purple monster, but damn, man, it looks pretty darn uh, identical to it. Which
1: we're sort of beating around the idea of collecting and sending to now the DNA testing is a lot more reasonable. You know, in
0: 2015, it
1: was like a pie in the sky, like what researchers wants to take this on for their, you know. For part of their phd thing and now it's like yeah it's a laboratory task like we can do this
0: well, so we if you, not, if you need uh, if you need help you know and you need some dna from one of my um you know frags or whatnot originals yeah yeah I mean, i've got yeah, that'd, i've that'd got awesome. lineage to you know mm-hmm. the actual original one that was collected i have to like go back into my notes but um yeah that would be a pretty cool thing yeah yeah, I get behind that for sure. Um, so it's, th- I mean, there's also a lot of other cool classic corals that have been collected in the Solomon Islands. You've got the Miyagi tort, the Cali tort, right? Yep. Talk yep. to us about some yep. of those uh, those other classics that'll come out of the Solomons.
1: Yeah. So a lot, of, well, a lot of what you're gonna see is is that these are corals that didn't they, they didn't come off the airplane name brand corals, right? They they hardened up in captivity and then got their name as like people kept them and they were tradable. So this is back in the day of like. Uh, it was a lot less regulated, right? You could just, you know, throw 400 corals on, on, you know, throw 400 wild corals on. Now your sighties are a lot smaller and expectations are a lot higher. Uh, also, our husbandry is a lot better. So, you know, corals are landing in better shape. Wild corals are landing in better shape than they used to. But um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is uh, I haven't seen kelly tort i've seen uh like i was with jake when we collected what he calls an immortal tort yeah and that's the same that's the same texture and same you know growth habit it's not the same color um but what these you know it turned way bluer when we collected it it was a green and brown uh stag oh. or tort you know stag, and it it had mutated to a purple or bluer under his under his captive conditions under under leds so it's um it's, it's funny how, how things change in c2 or in, in in captive collection they harden off and they get used to captive conditions and you know I don't know if it's cooler water because water's warm here I don't know if it's you know any number of things could be different um, but once a corals taken off of its off of its home range and goes into, into tanks it changes but tort we see here that was actually mortal tort was collected on the same reef that we collected purple monster on um, along with Australogyroselli, which is just it's one of those like coral nerds corals but not a uh, not a not a hobbyist it's not an instagram famous <laughs> coral but it's it's rare it's, it's not collected anywhere else in the solomons um what what i th- you know i'm still sort of a baby company here i'm still sort of crawling on my knees we're not we're not up and running but uh what i think we'll see over the next couple of years is just new new strains coming out new species coming out because it's just untouched you know where i don't know how many dozens of operators there are in indonesia and i know there's more than 15 large operators over australia with big boats and big operations and multiple divers like we're still in a little ponga, you know 40 horsepower two-stroke ponga boat exploring you know we're not up checking you know reefs that are 200 miles away yet but as we get bigger legs um i think you're gonna see a lot more um but going to you know not going to the sites that were collected throughout the 90s is sort of been what i'm trying to do you know going to muddy reefs going to back reefs going to places that weren't um established coral collecting zones so we'll see just more 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 species more strains like focusing on deep water that's been sort of the, the thrust for the last three months um getting you know locani is starting to become a big thing and getting different strains of locani it means getting comfortable diving for production at 60 to 80 feet you know it's not the comfortable snorkeling depth where you can be underwater all day like we have to hit the water and, and get to work but um yeah just trying to kind of Eke got our own niche. We're not, we're not Indonesia and we're not Australia. We're, you know, we're Solomon Islands.
0: Yeah, it seems so. like it has been a long time since Lakani has been in the uh, in the hobby, you know. And I guess that uh, has got something to do in terms of what uh, what's being collected out there and all that sort of thing. I mean, b- besides uh, what we've been talking about in terms of purple Monster and some of the other classics and what stuff, whatnot. What uh, what really resonates with you? Um, I mean, are you more into the uh, the deep water stuff? Is is there anything that uh, really kind of gets you jazzed? Fun. Yeah, I mean
1: shallows shallows pretty and it's, it's it's easy it's it's like going and picking wildflowers, right? It's not that hard to just go out and see cool stuff and cover a lot of reef on on a couple of tanks. I'm not going under compressor so I don't have like a limited time underwater. Um when we dive deep water for for Lokani, I mean I have to like hit I have to sort of be on a mission. Um and so it's a little more it's a little more targeted diving, it's a little more stressful, I guess, cuz you're sort of under uh you're under, you know, you got to got to get your numbers, but um it's a weird zone it's very alien you know everything's very blue you bigger fish you get sharks it's it's uh it's 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 more it's more exotic um i think where, where i enjoy is when we go out where we're staying overnight in a village and you're actually making connections with people mm. and you know you're you're bringing them supplies you're bringing them concrete and tile and stuff that they need to to build mm. their their village up as an exchange yeah. and you know making friends um eating with them and like actually like Going in the bush, like that's, that's, that's the fun stuff for me. So, um, usually when we collect LPS, that's, that's sort of in the, in the muddy in, you know, inland passes, uh, it's, it's oceanic still, but it's, it's just inland. And that's the, that's the place that I think I enjoy the most collection wise. What,
0: uh, what what kind of restrictions do you have to deal with in terms of collecting, you know, permitting and all that sort of thing is, is the government over there, um, you know, make it tough to uh, do what you want to do or is it, um,
1: government. I mean, government everywhere makes things tough, right? Uh, it's government's job to make sure that like you can't just run roughshod over yeah, it. To... You know, whenever you're commoditizing an animal, they want to make sure you're not just like, oh, more animals and more animals, right? So yeah. they put restrictions. Um, everything, everything falls under CITES, Conventions for International Trade for Dangerous Species. And so that would be the same if it's Indonesia or if it's Australia or if it's the United States. And that paperwork has to link up to all, you know, it's, it's this common language, common numbers, everyone's agreed on these terms. So that's the, that's the, the umbrella that we have to operate under and that everyone has to operate under. Um, but in the Solomons it's specific. So there's a Ministry of fisheries and they have their own quotas. Um, you know, they had said no torch coral. And so mm-hmm. I, I can't export torch coral, right? Like, and it's, it felt a little arbitrary to me and we're, we're talking to them about it, but um, you know, that's, that's banned, not internationally, but it's banned as an expert out of the Solomons. Um, They had also picked Humilis, which is like a really common shallow water Acropora, but they said, can't export Acropora, Humilis. Okay, so we don't export that, right? Um, So that's a Solomon-specific rule solomons uh i can collect you know where indonesia you're restricted to like your zone wherever your depot is you know if you're bali you can only collect in and around bali you can't go way out and bring corals in and and you know farm stuff from exotic more exotic locales solomons i i'm free to go all around the solomons and and you know pick wildfires but um you have to make agreements with that village. You have to go into the landowner. And so land ownership rights here are really Byzantine. And like, so you can have one brother owns the land, another brother owns the trees or like timber rights to the trees. And then their sister owns the rights to all the fruits that come off of this tree. And like, if anybody steps on each other's toes, it'll be a, you know, that little family feud will go on. So when it comes to reef rights and access to fish and, and, and corals, you have to make sure you're talking to the right person because, hmm. um, kind of a funny trick that will get played on you is you go and talk and you find out you're talking to like a cousin or a third, you know, a third relative twice removed and you'll make a negotiation and you'll exchange you know, you'll exchange money or whatever, whatever the agreement is to have access to this land and then find out that the next week they're like, oh, no, that's not actually the right person to, to negotiate with. You should have found me. And, you know, so they, there's a funny story of a tuna factory that was built here in uh, Western province. Like Japan came and built a tuna factory, I want to say in the 80s, and um, three times they bought the land. They flat out bought the land, like, you know, many acres for this tuna factory <laughs> three times and then just said, you know what, we're done. We're, we can't keep buying this land. Just take it. It's your, it's your tuna factory. So that can happen. You know that happens to these are you know large companies with I'm sure you know legal representation and a lot deeper deeper pockets than I'll ever have. And I uh, you just have to take time and make sure that you're negotiating with the right person. So, so yeah. We, but yeah. Uh,
0: what I was going to ask you is that uh, so you're talking about land rights and all that sort of thing. Are, are you actually you have to put in off of a person's land to go dive off uh, off a specific part? every.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So every, so Solomon Island's government gives me the right to export, right. And the right to harvest, right. But that does not mean that I can just go into someone's village and take, you know, or, or an Island and take corals off that Island. I, if I do that, I could have a couple of very angry boys with machetes board my boat and uh, tell me I have to give them a lot of money. And, and that that threat is real. Um, so yeah. So, and every village and you could have like this village extends to this palm tree. And then the other guy from the other village says, well, actually my lane is here. And if I overcross it, he's going to, you know, he's going to want money from me. And so you just have to really uh, be smart about, you know, respecting people's boundaries. And it, it could be as small as like a couple houses could be a beachfront. And that's, that's the only area that you negotiate with. So yeah, you go in ahead of time and negotiate. And so it's, what, what that boils down to is make good relationships with people yeah. and respect those relationships long-term. There's a lot of kind of short-term thinking here, and you have to sort of pave the way for long-term. Like, you're going to see me next month, and you're going to see me the month after that, and you're going to see me next year. And, you know, also not turning that into, like, I'm your ATM whenever you need, uh, whenever you need some help.
0: So it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act. So a couple questions yeah. from the uh, viewers. John Wright's asking, does Tim grow out the corals and frag them for export? Is that what you do? Is that part of what you do? I don't.
1: I don't. Uh, that was intentional. So, um, with I don't know. I don't want to go too into the back door of, of the business, but, um, I wanted to give villages and farmers a lot of sovereignty and give them ownership of their coral. I mean, they're doing the work, right? I'm just the merchant in that situation. So I'll go out and show them what I want to buy and what I want them to farm. And I'll again, go ahead of time and get, get the rights to collect. Right, and probably take a couple, you know, collect a bit for an export, but then show, hey, this is this is amazing, you know, next in, in next quarter, give me 50 of these, or if you can grow 100 of these a month, I'll buy 100 a month, and you just you set that up. Soft corals, it's quick to turn around, right? Hard corals are, are a little bit slower. Um, but when I when I go there, I I don't own the land, you know, land ownership here, like I said, it's really contentious, and as a non-citizen. It's just never going to happen. I'm never going to be a landowner here, not realistically. So um, unless I you know, have a family, you know, in a situation like that, you really have to become a, 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 a Solomon Island citizen to have land ownership. And reef, reef front is land ownership. Wow. So I leave that to the individual uh, people here. So in Morale Sound, I've got 53 active farmers there. Uh, there's 15 in Central Province, and we have a couple in Western Province that we're developing. Different regions, different topography, different types of coral. Um, Morale Sound, Dave Palmer was working with them in the nineties. I mean, they didn't, that that's, that's the other one that Jake did videos of coral, far, coral farming workshop in the March of 2019, um, where we recruited, you know, 53 farmers. And, and again, they didn't need training. They know what to do. They just wanted an assurance that we're not going to set them up and then sort of lamb, you know, lose interest, which had happened when, when that, when the station stopped exporting and that was their big fear. Um, so and that, that place has just incredible topography because you have open ocean, you have, have, uh, swell facing side you have not swell facing side you have sheltered reefs you have back lagoons you have sort of all the topography there it's a rad spot it's
0: so really are you spot. are you paying actually these uh, local landowners for every coral that you collect are you paying them a certain fee and they basically yep. have these uh kind of like little uh, in um, you know uh, reef coral um, farms that so they're they're kind of doing the farming yeah. themselves yeah, so I, and and you're just yep. you're so cherry picking from their farms
1: the way that, well, not sure, I, I buy it all. Um, buy it all. Um, they don't understand the world market. Uh, you know,
0: coral is a coral. To them,
1: coral is just stone. It's stones low sea, is the, the local word for it is stone low sea. So, stone of the sea. Uh, and so, a brown coral is a coral, a uh, blue coral is a coral, a uh, red coral is a coral. They, they don't understand. And you know, they've never seen an aquarium. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a, it's just a pretty foreign concept. So, what we do is the unsellable corals, I'll, I'll back. Uh, back burner of that. And we use that for reef restoration. We use that to, you know, if we have a ship run aground, cool, let's plant some corals on it. We had an oil spill in, in Rennell. Um, I wasn't set up at that point, but the idea is that I can donate 5,000 corals to that, you know, over time we'll have a bank vault of corals that we can just, we can sort of go reseed with. Um, cause Brown corals, do perfectly fine in the ocean. They're not, you know, no one wants to buy them, but yeah. they do their job and they, they recruit fish back and they, they get things going again. Um, but yeah, I, basically I, uh, I'm the marketplace. I establish a marketplace with coral. And then I go there and I show them what I want to buy and what I don't want to buy. So they're not wasting their time. Um, but, uh, I'm not the actual farmer. Um, you know, I would tell people I'm a coral farmer. I'm more of a coral farm facilitator, but that's just a lot of words. So, yeah.
0: And, and do you have a facility like a holding facility where, where you're you're taking these corals yeah. back to and then that's yeah, holding okay. a
1: holding an export facility that I built with my own hands. We built it without power tools. Uh, we just didn't have the budget and to electrify the facility was was difficult. So we're you know. Laying block and, and mixing concrete and, uh, you know, doing everything we could with without power. We actually electrified during COVID. We were able to finally get it electrified. And so then I can come back and do power tools. But for a long time, I was charging batteries. I was charging batteries at my house and then fill my backpack up with batteries and then walking down to the work site to... Uh,
0: to get as much work as we could done. Wow, that is, that is pretty incredible. Um, Bert Minch, was asking, what's up there, Bert? Has, has uh, Tim ever taken temperatures in different areas and or salinity or pH? So have you, have you done any um, kind of parameters checks? Yeah,
1: yeah. so uh, we're seeing, is it 26 degrees Celsius pretty much everywhere I've tested, uh, which is what, 81, 82? 81, 82 degrees, pretty consistently. Um, air temperature's up right now, but I'm not seeing my tanks go up. We, we take water from the ocean and flow through our facility. Um, I'm not seeing temperatures vary. Um, if corals, if we have power outages like we had when I first got back here in May, we had regular two hours, two times a day, three hour power outages. Hmm. And so during the night, uh, tanks would, would, you know, uh, they would cool off and they'd go down to ambient, which was, I want to say high 70s. Um, but corals were holding just fine in a couple degree shift every you know night and day cycles. They were doing fine too. Um, pH I haven't tested. I have tested oxygen and you know just seeing that it's it's saturated. I don't have my numbers in front of me. Um, uh, it's a good question. I wasn't prepared for it. So rad. Um, but pH I did with Jake where we actually the what we what we call the the purple monster expedition. It was the Triton expedition. Triton funded it um, and or bought <laughs> we bought Jake's airfare. Actually actually self funded. I got I got not because of Triton, but I, I got bit on that one. That's, that's a story we won't tell publicly, but, uh, yeah, I, I basically worked for two weeks for free, but, uh, it was adventure. Uh, so when we, when we, we did run Triton samples everywhere we went and then, and then sent them back to the lab at the time, there was only the lab in Germany. Um, but basically everything was coming in consistent rock solid. So the reefs, the reefs in the muddy areas, cause we weren't testing nutrition at the time. It was just, um, uh, trace element saturation, uh, trace element was concentration was the same in open ocean reefs and in settled reefs. And, you know, that was in 2015, the machines are a lot more accurate now. It could be different, but, um, for the, for the average reefer water was the same. And the way that Jake explained it, because he was testing and, you know, when he went to, when he went to Middle East, he was testing the Red Sea. The the way he explained to me is like oceanic chemistry is the same for all intents and purposes, not scientifically the same, but like for all intents and purposes, it's the same everywhere he's gone. So, but that was years ago. So.
0: uh what what about um bleaching event? you mentioned eighty one degrees you know Fahrenheit Dude, it, it,
1: i I just for the first time am' seeing bleaching uh, here and for years, no. I'm like, yeah, the Solomons doesn't have bleaching we, we don't get bleaching here like we get we get crown thorn stars, we get horrible earthquakes that lift whole reefs out of the water. Oh. uh that's happened in my time here but uh we hadn't seen bleaching and on a reef that i regularly go to we had some bleaching and it was really depressing it was coupled with crown of thorns too so it's bleaching and crown of thorns um so yeah it's it's a it's a bummer it exists i had thought and this is purely anecdotal i i don't have the um Take for what it's worth, right? My anecdotes. Uh I had thought that because it's consistently warm here, that it would be less subject to a bleach to a warming event because it's just sort of hardened mm-hmm. against it. But I am seeing it here for the first time. That's a know.
0: bummer. So it it is definitely uh you think uh potentially global warming is uh is impacting the uh yeah. Yeah, that's the
1: I mean that's the consensus view. Um and
0: I have no data
1: to to refute that whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Um so Talk to us about the, uh, you know, you were talking about the uh, the Triton samples and whatnot and, and um, you know, on the expedition. But um, in, in, your, mm-hmm. uh, in your holding facility, are there certain parameters that you're trying to uh, stay at? You know, I think, you know, us uh, hobbyists are always very uh, keen on trying to keep a certain DKH, like between 8 and, and 9 DKH and, and elevated pH mm-hmm. and, you know, some elevated mm-hmm. nutrients, n- not zeroed out. What, um, you know what, what are your thoughts on all that stuff what are you, what are you trying to uh, maintain in your uh, facility there and, and what's been successful?
1: I think you're really not going to like my answer and that's <laughs> that I don't have to test um, where I, I had um, after years and years and years of maintaining aquariums for you know, demanding and fancy people, I was really excited to be able to offset that responsibility to, uh, to God, right. To, you know, the, the ocean takes care of my chemistry. The ocean takes care of my electricity bill with my lighting. The ocean takes care of flow. All of those things were, were sort of just baked in. Um, So the honest truth is I haven't had tests. I don't, I don't even have a, a, um, a alkalinity tester here. I had a, I had a par meter, uh, I took that back home before COVID. I haven't, I just haven't, um, haven't needed it. Um, and that's a, I'd like to give you a better answer. Uh, cause I don't think that's, that's the way it should be. Um, but in bootstrapping this, I mean, I, I have a lot of hats and, you know, I'm chasing the airlines to make sure that cargo is lined up. I'm, I'm, I've, I've, Crew I'm, I'm, I'm chasing. I have to get my boat crew yeah. ready. I have government negotiations. So testing, I just mm-hmm. haven't been able to do it. Um, and I've been able to assume that that's being taken care of. Now, there are days like where we're at, I have there's lumber yards just up, upstream from me. And so when they're doing big saws or when they're throwing all their sawdust in the ocean, because they do that mm-hmm. here, um, it'll stain the water, which is definitely putting, you know, phytotoxins into the water. And so we stop pumping then. Uh, also, there's a the the country's basically the country's national brewery. uh, I should be wearing my Sawbrew hat right now, but uh, Sawbrew, it's like, it's a Heineken clone. They actually had a Heineken, uh, brewer come out and set it up but uh they discharge right there luckily they're <laughs> downstream but occasionally we can smell all the yeast that they're discharging and yeast is not toxic but it is a lot of biomass and so that gets dumped and so we have to cut our flow then and make sure that we're good there
0: wow. um
1: so the location is not ideal where we are it's just the best i could work with with my budget and with a you know, location in town if i could get more remote uh, trust me i would <laughs> so yeah Yeah. But so the farms, the farms are nowhere near here. So where the farms are growing, it's nowhere in the vicinity of town. So in town, it's, you know, you've got all this urban runoff and, and uh, I like the word terogenous. So uh, waste that's generated on land flowing out to sea so yeah it's it's kind of the worst place for corals it's interesting because in the in the bays where you have people every day loading and unloading and throwing their trash out of the boats and just really being disrespectful to the ocean and all these big diesel engines and you know a lot of them are running like uh they're not even diesel they're like it's like fuel oil it's really harsh nasty stuff where the exhaust is pumped through the the boat engine and it's discharging you know salt watery exhaust stuff Oil slicks on the water. You'll still see corals fighting for life even in those wow. areas. So in town, in the like right off the market, you'll see corals. So, um, yeah, they fight. They they fight hard here to to eke out an existence. But um, all of our coral farms are way outside of this area. So their biggest threat is logging and sedimentation from from logging. That's the biggest threat to the farms. Huh.
0: Well, I mean, it it sounds like there's a lot of challenges. But I mean, so well, uh, on average, how long are the corals that you're holding your facility in your facility?
1: I've done three weeks and I didn't like it. Um, I don't want to hold more than a week to,
0: to, um,
1: you know, 12 days is like, all right, this is, it's, it's been too long. Um, Done longer. um, It was, we actually, here's one that, uh, that I was actually a a disagreement I had with, uh, with, with, with Jake uh, was setting up. uh, that that, uh,
0: that's, that happens, you know? Oh yeah. No, I mean, friends with the guy. (laughs) uh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> there's some famous ones yeah but uh originally i had a tin roof like a corrugated tin you know steel but corrugated steel roof we call it tin um and i thought well these corals are starving you know they need they need something and to some degree you want to purge corals like you want to purge fish before export you want to make sure that their digestive systems are not full of you know stuff they're going to yeah. poop in, in the bag um so uh you want to purge them a little bit but you don't want to purge them for 12 days they're they're hungry and they, they need sugar, they need sugar to, to fight off infections and, and to just stay alive and to stay whole. Um, and so I replaced every couple of, uh, roofing tins with fiberglass and that made a huge difference in color retention and in just overall happiness with corals. So yeah, that was one thing that we learned and that I learned, uh, you know, went, went against the, the, um, instructions I had from somebody that I think, uh, you know, I miss him. I miss him so much. But uh, I think even in his short years, you know, I'm not 41 yet. I will be soon. I think uh, when I'm 42, he will still have known more than me. And when I'm 52, he will still have more knowledge career than I ever will. Oh yeah,
0: so. he, he was like an encyclopedia and um, just uh, such yeah. a resource for sure. Uh, yeah. Let's get back to specific corals again, uh, Tim. Like the sure. uh, millies, millipora are uh, yeah. very common, right in the uh, in the Solomons and um, in. Yeah. Okay. In the, the areas that I'm collecting,
1: so the west end of Guadalcanal, the west end of, uh, of, of, of the city, basically of town, um, is it's it's the so you have the like like Guadalcanal shape. I wish I had like some a map to show you, uh, but Guadalcanal is kind of shaped like a bean, and we're sort of in the in the the con convex. Sort of little middle of that bean, so the west end of it is getting uh, swell. So nine months out of the year, you're getting swell coming from relatively op- open ocean coming over what's called the Iron Bottom Sound, called the Iron Bottom Sound because there's so many naval boats in the water. This is the the site of the worst, mm. the worst. You, the worst defeat in U.S. history. we standing defeat in U.S. history of, you know, so many boats, so many soldiers, so many everything. So it's a pretty wow. famous location. And so water's coming over that sound and washing onto this coast sort of flat on. So it's a high energy, high light, clean, relatively clean water, not, not, not oceanic water. So you're not getting like tabling Acropora type water, but clean ocean water hitting it. And so, yeah, it's ideal conditions for Millipora. So it's a lot of food. It's hungry but it's clear water.
0: I, I was going to say, so, you know, millies seem to be one of the more challenging, uh, acros to keep in, in, um, you know, captive reef aquariums. Why, why do you think, um, you know, that is the case, you know, in terms of what you've food. seen out there as a food,
1: they're hungry, they're hungry. Yeah. So it's not, they don't just want a lot of light. They want a lot of light, but they want a lot of food. Um, everywhere where I see it, it's, it's shallow snorkeling depth. I've seen it deeper, but it's, it's scraggly. It gets, um, it's just not getting enough energy, um, so even on the, the reform collecting Locani at 60 I'll see an occasional Millie um, but they're not they're nowhere near as happy as they are when they're in shallow you know snorkeling depth at the risk of almost getting overheated bleaching they're always right up in that sort of that zone where it's where it's it's shallow and they're getting a lot of energy um, and a lot of a lot of wave not wave breaking you know where you're seeing robusta but but wave a lot of wave energy so just that's food delivery you got to think of that as like the more current washing over an area is more opportunities for them to snag food and to snag what they need so yeah
0: so highlight high energy so all right so i guess what i'm hearing your advice to hobbyists would be um probably higher par um some good flow and um yeah. To high, oxygen, high oxygen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Make sure your oxygen saturation is really good. That was that was actually the reason why I brought an uh, oxygen test kit here, was to make sure that during transit and when they're like like basically, what am I starting off with? I'm starting off with a lot of oxygen enriched water. So that when they when they get to the United States, are they in the same captive conditions? And so we had to make sure that we were really agitating the water in the holding systems. They weren't sitting in, you know, relative. We were we were holding them in really big single systems that um, I I feel it's been you know it's been long enough, but I feel they weren't uh, they weren't turned over enough enough per hour. The oxygen concentration was just too low. So well, what yeah. about
0: the um, you know the proper IDing of corals? And the reason I'm, I'm asking is because um, you know you've got Millepora, you've got spatulata mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you've got other varieties of, of, um, corals that, that actually Prostrata, do, Prostrata yep. that look like Millie's, mm-hmm. you know, how, how, mm-hmm. um, how do they differ? You know, I know that spathulata can be really, really tough to keep. Um, yep. and, um, you know, Prostrata, I, I think, uh, you know, years ago you saw a lot, lots of them in the, in the hobby, but again, you know, today I don't see that many, but that's because of a lot of the fancy names, you know, or is it because they're not getting ID'd properly?
1: I think they're all, there's, there's a lot, right? So there's a lot to unpack. Um, IDing, let's, let's, so IDing has a problem because whatever I declare it as, it has to be that, right? So if I declare something is prostrata and then I have some millipores and some prostratas going to shipment, well, now they can start to try to parse that and be like, oh, well, you misidentified this, this coral species. And so it's safer just to say million. That's true. I think for every exporter in every corner of the world, um, it's, it's 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 tough to to parse out. Also, a, a mature colony, you'll see the differences in a mature colony versus a, a fragment versus a, a pizza slice mm. of a colony, right? Because you're looking through the side, right. you're not looking at its at its overall shape, right? Um, I, so it's it's coupled with, of just the realities of doing export and IDing for export, right? Um, coupled with it's just tough to tell Prostrata. the difference between a prostrata and a millipora is is really sort of a subjective without putting the two together it's really hard you can't mm-hmm. just look at it and be like that's prostrata." i think spapulata is a lot easier it's more robust it's 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 denser or it's squatter um but it's it's hard uh you also have uh Different flow conditions can completely change coral. So if we're just qualitatively yeah. and, and color, forget color. Like that—that's a non-identifier. But if you're if you're looking at okay, one is denser. Well, under shallower water, higher energy conditions, it has to sort of reinforce its its skeleton to resist that, and so it's going to be squatter. You know, high light—it's not reaching like a like a like a weed would reach for light. Under high light conditions, it's not reaching. So under high light, high flow conditions, it's going to be stubbier. Whereas, like, does that make it a a, a uh, Ah, uh, No, but it's it's going to have a similar shape. So coral IDing is really hard. Um, I there was a time in my life where I was really going deep in the weeds on coral identification, and I've I've had to sort of take a you know how much energy can I throw at this, right? So I ID things as best I can, um, and as best as I with with good intentions can. But man, is is. Um, it's difficult to really parse the difference. Again, Spaphylata, spot spotula I think is easy, but, but Prostrata from Millipora. Um, and even just a few weeks ago, you know, corals that I had shipped, one of, one of my customers was saying like, oh, well, I think, I think that was a, a, uh, um, a Prostrata. And it's like, well, let's document it so that I can sort of cement that in my brain, sort of burn it into, into my memory. So we don't, ever overlap them. Um, but we do the best, we do the best we can. Yeah. But when you've got, so the the Solomon Islands has 500 different species of corals. It's, it's the Mm. top coral. So this, I think is second only to Raja Ampat in Indonesia. Um, but as, as a whole, I mean, that's, that's one little area of Indonesia, like as a whole, Solomon Islands has something like 500 species. Um, so to try to get all those species scientifically accurate, like where, you know, I'm I'm signing my name to it that's a, that's a big bowl of spaghetti. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a big problem, you know, because, uh, like you said, you know, you're, you're exporting corals and somebody on the receiving end is like, well, maybe that, uh, that looks like, uh, you know, prostrate versus a milli. And then, uh, you know, then it's going from that person to another person and they're like, Oh, that's a milli. And then it's going to a hobbyist. I think, I think that there's, I, 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 I need to bring up, uh,
1: that, there's a lot of obfuscation that goes on. So I mean, I'm not talking to retail customers. I I'm, yeah. I'm that's my customers, customers domain. Right. right. And they would really resent me if I was, you know, like I can give them advice, but I can't like, Oh, I'll ship you one of these. They'd never want to buy from me again. Right. So you have to kind of respect where you're in the food chain, but, there's I feel like obfuscation at some levels of um not even the people that I'm working with, but but the people that they're selling to, that they're selling to. They don't want people to know where it came from. They want to say, oh, well, it's, you know Tim, uh, I say Tim Kelly's it's 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 Keith's special orange millipora that only comes from me when, like, you know, you you look at some of these Indonesia shipments and name brand, named corals are are coming off, and then each retail store is calling them their yeah. own strain of something right off the right out of the water right out of the box and then they're cutting it up and they're not even keeping brood colonies because they know next week they're going to get five more so I, I i it's a it's been a bone to pick it was a bone uh and i don't want keep bringing jake up but it was a bone that me and him would pick a lot just sort of wax like you know what really gets under me you or know, grinds my gears is uh is the, the going away from scientific cor- coral naming or at least getting the domain of the scientific yeah. name right so like i know it's the Go back to Millipora, Prostrata, Spathyolotic complex, right? Um, and just saying it's the it's the blue dragon scale. Well, come on, blue dragon scale doesn't tell you anything or you know, any number of, of names, just combine or, or slap rainbow on it and it'll sell. Um, that's it's really unfortunate. It's something that like I wish people in the coral hobby were more like reptile enthusiasts, where like this this boa constrictor is really special because it comes from this island and it's only ever been collected once, and that's not something that's, that's lost intentionally. I feel like geolocation is, is really lost intentionally. Um, and it's something that if given my, if I could, I would, I would do everything I can to bring that back and sort of geotag where we're collecting corals or where the, where the broodstock was originally collected so that if someone wants to go find it, like, cool, go find it. You know, like that, that's, that, that connects you to the hobby. Um, if I can continue my, my little rant, Yeah,
0: yeah. Go uh, for, man.
1: early on when I was, when I was, uh, a, a buyer, when I was, uh, you know, working at a fish, I was working at Mark's Tropical Fish in uh, in Los Angeles, uh, in Valley Village. And uh, he was the first guy that would take me to wholesalers. So every, I, I want to say it was Mondays, I'd have to meet him at his house at six o'clock and we would go down to 104th Street and go, and go shop. And I remember on the wall at Quality Marine, they had a like fish of Vanuatu. And I, I don't think it was corals, but it's fish of Vanuatu. And I remember just thinking like, how cool it'd be to build an ecotope that's like just Vanuatu. Mm. So like, if you and, your, you and your wife were into diving and you were ever to go to Vanuatu, you could be like, you could have a slice of that back. You could buy fish from that area or, you know, now that we, you know, now I'm a coral exporter, like buy fish and coral from that area and have a little slice of your honeymoon or a slice of a fun vacation you took. Um, I don't feel like that's important to most people. They just want, you know, sort of like you see that collectoritis of like, I, wanna, I want one of every name brand coral. Yeah. And you're putting them too close together and they're not thinking about how these corals are going to grow up in the next couple of years because, you know, each coral wants to be, you know, on a 12 by 12 inch space. And they're just clumping all these, you know, chaos of of coral shapes and colors together. So, yeah.
0: Um, I'm seeing a lot of um, a few comments in the chat here about stability and how important it is in the hobby. And, and, you know, a lot of us try to, you know, keep stable tanks in terms of parameters, alkalinity and and, uh, temperature Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, you know, given what you're seeing out there in the field and the Solomons, how, um, how important do you think stability should be for us hobbyists? Is, is that something that, uh, you know, is
1: absolutely, absolutely a hundred percent critical. Um, you could, I, I feel that like, this is more going to my experience as a, as a, uh, coral aquarium service guy, as a, as a refocused aquarium service guy, even if your parameters are a little bit off, like imperfect, you know, your salinity is a little off, your pH is a little off. If you're consistent you're going to be fine. And then if you're off, when you make improvements, if you very quickly, let's say you're, again, your pH was low, your alkalinity was low for a long time, your corals have adapted to it. If you rapidly bring your alkalinity back up to your ideal window, if for three months or four months, it's been, it's been low. If you overnight change it, you're going to shock your corals and they're going to, they're going to bail out. They're going to be like, I'm out. You know, let's, let some young, some young planula take my spot. You know, (laughs) uh, corals don't like rapid changes. They would rather deal with with in con- with with consistently bad conditions, than to deal with varying ideal, unideal, ideal, unideal, ideal, unideal conditions. That's how you get dead corals. Um, yeah, there's there's more tenacious corals, and I think that's where your uh, captive hardened corals, mm. you know, stuff like like look at the corals that Ora puts out. They're they're awesome. They're they're consistent. Yeah. They they like a wide range of corals. They they like being in captivity because they've been aquarium. You know, they've been hardened. So. Yeah, I, I, always, I always liked what they do because they, they you know, again, going back to like when I worked at Vivid, I, I thought that like in 15 years, and it's been more than 15 years, but in 15 years, it's going to be like, because my, my first job is working at a nursery, at a plant nursery. It's going to be like when you go buy a six pack of annual flowers and there's a little tag and it gives you your basic conditions so that somebody who doesn't even know corals can just sit within these conditions and the corals will be okay. Um, again, like buying, you know, cheapy disposable flowers at the, uh, or perennials, but like flowers at, at a nursery, you know, it's, it's been figured out
0: um hey what's happening there amanda mickley is in the house there uh Stur- oh great sturges reef um so i feel like the only thing that doesn't correspond with stability in the wild is temperature yet in the aquarium it seems much more important
1: oh no uh, stability here is insane it it uh you get almost no water temperature variation throughout the entire year I mean the Sun so because we're in the tropics the sun goes up at you know six o'clock and it goes down at six o'clock every day throughout the year it might be 605 or 610 on the extreme end but like coming from Los Angeles I used to love summers because the sun doesn't go down until eight at night right like you get two extra hours of daylight which is two more hours of warming which yep. is you know warmer sea temperatures um, you don't have seasonal variations here at all it's it is or I mean to, to scientific Specifically, you do get some seasonal variations, but it's it's almost imperceptible. It's less than a degree. Um, so yeah, the 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 conditions here are extremely within every parameter: temperature, chemistry, everything. What,
0: what about day night uh, swings? I mean, high low temp average. What would you say? So
1: air temperature will change. Um, air temperature change. I mean, I even noticed that I'm about. Uh, I'm starting to. I'm, I'm moving away from freedom units. I'm a, I'm a bad American. I'm. I'm I was going to say I'm. I'm. I'm one kilometer inland. <laughs> um, so I notice an air temperature change being away from the ocean. I get more inland variation. I'm also about, I don't know, if you, I don't know how much we can see, but like, yeah, yeah the, too, uh, the webcam's yeah. not going to show. But I'm, I'm probably, you know, probably 600 feet above sea level uh, or 500 feet above sea level. So it's, it's, we get a little more seasonal, but on the, on the water, like, like, you know, most people here live really close to the coast. It's, it's consistent. Air temperature is even pretty darn consistent. Um, you occasionally get a breeze if something's coming down a valley from the mountains. And we have mountains here. We have, uh, I tried to, to climb Mount Pupu Manusiu about three months back. We got turned around because of like crazy flooding. Mm. Uh, it was going to be a seven day trip up into the bush or we were thinking it was going to be five. We found out later it was going to be seven and we were weighing <laughs> over our heads. but um, yeah, but it got cold. I mean, it's, it's at that point when you get up there, it's cloud forest. And that was what I was really excited to go see. Um, but you get, you get variations there when you get altitude, but on the water, tropical coastal rainforest it's 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 locked in it's solid
0: so um let's let's uh let's assume that you're a uh you're a hobbyist right now okay you're you got a uh, you got a reef tank you're living in the states um what would you mm-hmm. do in terms of um feeding your corals amino acids specific coral food w- would you bother or you just uh, rely on fish food and fish uh, poop yeah.
1: No, I do. I, I, um, I had so during COVID. I was, I was essentially a, a COVID refugee. I was stuck in the States. Yeah. And, um, I maintained a reef tank, uh, that, uh, I was really proud of again. I wish I could show you, throw some media your way. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, if we had a B reel real, if we were pre-recording this, yeah. Um, but I used, uh, was it red Sea AB plus, the, the like highlighter colored uh-huh. fluid. I would use that. Um, I was also, I'd started to get into, mm-hmm. um, hydrogen peroxide, a little bit of hydrogen peroxide, uh, and then I became a why, uh, guy dosing every uh, why, day why hydrogen
0: peroxide?
1: I was starting to see once I increased nutrients, I was starting to see some, um, some algae and it's, you know, it's just a little inhibitor of algae. And then you're, you know, you're, you're net, you're left with just water at the end of it, oxygen and water. So there's no, there's no byproduct. You're not leaving anything behind in the ocean. So I would just do a little maintenance dose of hydrogen peroxide every day. Um, and calcwasser for, for, um, pH stability, the house I lived in was buttoned up tight. It was really efficient, which is great, but air turnover was bad. And even though I was, I was uh, remoting the intake for the, um, for the protein skimmer, my, I was fighting pH swings. Uh, we were using Triton and Triton does have, um, agents in it to, to maintain your pH. But in this really buttoned up condition, a lot of, we're taking their, uh, protein skimmer intake from outside. I didn't, I, I couldn't drill through enough walls to, to, to make that rea- reality. So I overcame it by using, uh, um, a little bit of wasser every day. Um, yeah, so it, 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 so between the food and, but with the increased nutrition, I was having some algae and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, everything's a balancing act. You know, I, I, I tell people yeah. with reef keeping it's a, it's not just a seesaw of two different uh two different points it's like an eight-pointed seesaw that you're constantly you know if you do anything here it's gonna push these up and you're, you're always kind of tapping them down
0: it, it is a fine balance when, you, when you're keeping a captive reef aquarium you know it, it, it's interesting you mentioned the hydrogen uh, peroxide because i've been fighting a little cyano here and there for for mm-hmm. a while and somebody said you know what try some hydrogen uh, peroxide you know dose that daily for like a week and see what happens yeah
1: yeah, you'll get a response. Means I means not corals love it. I, I would see my palythoas would just like zoof, instantly they could, they could sense it. So they didn't like it at all. But, you know, I wasn't having a problem keeping palythoas. You know, I was, I was more worried about, um, what was it? It's been, it's been now months, but I, it was overgrowing. I think it might have been, I think it was cyano. I think it was cyano was showing up or it might have just been a green, a green fuzzy algae. But yeah, it, it definitely knocked it back. It knocked it back big time.
0: So um, we're getting a question from Ryan Washington how much hydrogen peroxide what uh, how much hydrogen peroxide how many <sighs> ml's per gallons there would you say Tim
1: Oh I am not the person to I I, <laughs> I I just google food it to be honest um and then also went really conservative hydrogen peroxide is you know chemically it's bleach right it, it behaves very similarly to bleach so it's it's really active stuff yeah so you come in at a really low dose and then see how your tank responds like at a quarter of the recommended dose come in light and then the next day increase it a little bit. And the next day, increase a little bit with measured, you know, document it and see what your corals can handle. Don't just, because if you, I mean, it's, it's a really strong oxidizer. Like, you know, so it's making the comparison to bleach. So it will burn things and burning things is what it's doing. It's burning algae. It's bur- burning stuff off of fish gills. It's burning stuff. It's just your bigger, more complicated organisms can handle it. They've got layers of tissue and layers of mucus that can handle that oxidizer. Whereas the, the nasty stuff, the simpler organisms don't. And so you're, you know, their ability, it's like, it's, it's kind of like uh, reef, uh, what's that chemotherapy, you know, like, like cancer cells can't handle the, the the chemicals. So don't, I, I'm the wrong guy to give advice. I think it's the, the safest answer I can say. Um,
0: uh, who I think it was, was it, oh man, there, so I haven't, I haven't, yeah. I was going to say somebody in the chat said I've, I've always heard one ml per 10 gallons. Um, somebody is concurring with that. Um, I was told, uh, one ml per gallon, um, by somebody that I'm gonna have on in a couple of weeks. That's a swing of 10X. yeah, it's a big yeah, swing. That's a swing of ten. Um, yeah, uh, this guy I'm gonna have on in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've had him on many times. He's a uh, he's a PhD. His name is Dong Zhou, and he can grow the shit out of acros. So uh yep. we'll uh, we'll dig into that with him in terms of um, that uh, recommendation. But yeah, I've I've always been I've, I've used it uh, hydrogen peroxide mm-hmm. to like treat um, you know frag plugs or whatnot. And um, I think at one mm-hmm. point in time when I had some. Uh, some dinos, I, uh, I tried doing that. What about, um, what are your thoughts on dosing bacteria, you know, to an established reef tank? Is that something that's necessary?
1: Um, I would say, okay, so I think the safe answer is it's not necessary because I've had success without doing it. Would I have more success? It's possible. I, I haven't done it, so I'm not speaking from experience there. Um, I, I know that the if, you, if you're on a reef, you're, you're getting exposed to seasonal variations of, of, of bacteria. You're going to have blooms. You're going to have cycles, right? When you have a closed system, especially if you've had a really successful closed system, you're not buying coral and you're not importing live rock and you're not adding new variations to a system. It becomes It can become stagnant. It could become sort of a monoculture of your of your microfauna. So I would imagine if you're supplementing it, you're only doing a good thing, right? right. If it's a, you know, again, you're not, you're not, it's it's uh, they say like I to make a crass example, but like if you go around kissing people, you're going to get, you're going to get the flu, right? You're going to, you're going right. to expose yourself to too much. yeah. But like, if it's, if it's stagnant, if, if the, if the, if the, the microphone is, is stagnant, I imagine that you can have winners and losers and you want more of a variety. I imagine corals want more of a variety. So if you're inputting bacteria, it's coming from a lab, it's coming from a company that, that knows exactly what they're giving you. They're not giving you gnarly strains. Um, it's like, so we worked at wholesale or at import we would get a lot of problems because you're importing corals from Indonesia, corals from Africa or corals from, yeah, even corals from Africa, but like zoanthids, Um, corals from uh, Indonesia and Australia. So basically every end of the world, like you're getting animals from, right? And so you're getting bacteria and you're getting parasites as well. You're getting nasty stuff. So uh, it's a big difference between just throwing new stuff at a reef versus like a, a targeted bacteria for the microfauna for your reef. So I, I think it's a really exciting new field where they're only now within the last five years in place where they can test microbiomes. Yeah. So that's like, that's bleeding edge. That's really cool stuff. Um, I haven't had the experience. I've just, the last five years I've kind of been on an Island. Um, so, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, uh, what, so yeah, I mean, you know, if you run into episodes of RTN or STN, what, what's your um, kind of first, um, you know, step, large water changes, or do you actually yeah, so, use some so antibiotics? Large water
1: change, first thing. Uh, antibiotics, we're, we're playing with antibiotics right now. Um, at, so we had an issue with, uh, actually, our milliporas, were when they were landing, they were having issues uh, of our tanning, and it was, it was a really frustrating thing. And we found that baths of antibiotics were, were knocking that down. Um, again, it's been, that's the receiving side on the exporter now. So like, I don't even know what the exact cocktail was. Um, but, uh, the, the guys that we're shipping to now have that, have that, have that figured out, uh, but for a while, that was a problem. We were having, um, RTN, it was, it was sort of becoming sort of a like a little dark cloud over the millipores we we're shipping. The hyacinthus wouldn't do it. Um, all the other strains would do it, but the, but the, uh, millipores were having some RTNing, which was really disappointing. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a problem of the past now. So, um, but for me, go ahead. For, for me, cutting off the cutting off the receiving tissue quickly, uh, not letting it linger because it will take the entire coral with it. Uh, clean, you know, clean water, not letting it sit in bacteriolating old stagnant mm-hmm. water. Um, it would just be it'd be like I would say, like, if, if you go to the dentist, and you have a cavity. They have to irrigate it. They have to sort of get oxygen in there and clean that clean that infection out of there. So, yeah.
0: what What about you mentioned uh, parasites, um, acro eating flatworms, um, monte eating nude branches? You know, what, what, how, how do you handle those sorts of things when you do see them come uh, on a coral?
1: Uh, so, Monty eating nude branch hasn't been a thing. On this in, in this part of my career, we haven't seen it here. Uh, when I was in captive, like greenhouse growing, I worked for a service company out of Malibu. Uh, doc, I, I almost wore my doc aquarium uh, tank top mm-hmm. today, but uh, from from Malibu. But we we would we dealt with uh, Monty Newbrank by basically hiring a full time uh, guy oh, no. to to clean, pick, trim. Dip wow. to knock it out of the warehouse because so we had a we had our own strain of uh, grafted money Cap that we were really proud of, and it was at the same basically simultaneous with worldwide corals developing their strain and it was one of the first like captive grafted corals and so we were protecting it was gold you know so hiring a full time staff to take care of that it was it warranted it to you know keep that that safe. Um, nowadays i i don't know maybe nowadays with cap i would just throw it out because it grows it grows back so fast and so many people have it it's not it's not the you know it's not what it was 12 14 years ago um but uh we do see acropora flatworms here and that's uh, um, uh, potassium potassium chloride potassium chloride potassium yeah potassium, yeah, potassium chloride. chloride is a great to knocks uh, that Yep.
0: yep. Yeah. Obviously the, um, it, it's, it's the eggs that are the, uh, the main, uh, problem. And it's so tough, you know, if you, if you do see the, uh, the acronym flatworms are, you know, you're likely you do have the eggs and it's, um, yeah, I mean, I guess you got to try to do your best to, um, trim the, uh, the top of the, no, get the base. Uh, we go ahead. It's a, it's a funny thing. Like, so again, you have to
1: sort of understand where you're at in the food chain. Um, you never want to knowingly pass down, A a sick animal, right? But if you're a, if you're a lettuce farmer, do you have the realistic time to sit there and flip every lettuce over and look for, you know, in an ideal world you would, but we don't live in a, you know, we don't live in a perfect place where you can sit and and look at everything. So we, we look at our corals, but I don't have the staff. I don't have the budget for the staff that can, that can, that can do that. Right. Um, we look for blue-eyed crabs. So we're not kicking that problem down, down the road. Um, we look for parasites as best we can. Um, I would, I would love to get to the point where I have a full-time staff
0: to just, just
1: go over every coral um but it's you're adding you're adding cost which then you know if i so let's just sign a sign an arbitrary value if i have a ten dollar coral and i add two dollars of of labor into it well now the person that buys it they have to double that right yeah. so now on the import side they're doubling that and then adding on airfare and then when they sell it that's got to get doubled again right so now my inputting two dollars of fix is now like a 45 dollar uh step, right? Which could probably be better done with more patience and more attention to detail at a smaller scale at the retail or at the wholesale side, rather than doing it at the export side. Um, so it's it's really like, how, how long do I want the coral sitting in the facility before it's moved yeah. on? Um, and it's a balance. I mean, I've gotten advice that like, you know, screw them, it's the customer's problem. And like, that eh, doesn't sit yeah. right. That doesn't sit yeah. right. But also, you know, how much, how much you're going to charge the customer for that fix, because you're adding, you know, at, at basically at my level, you're counting pennies, you're counting how many, what your penny additions into this, in these prices are. And I'm getting beat up over prices. Like, you know, if I add 25 cents to a price, like I'm, I'm getting a, you know, I'm hearing about it. So,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. So what what are your thoughts about uh natural predators in terms of pests? You know, I see um Bert Minch you said uh I heard a, a herd of six line rasses will keep the doctor away. What about, you know, rasses and and even uh peppermint yep. shrimp have been known to um be pretty good. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Um no pe- uh, uh both of those are are fantastic at keeping populations of, of prey of, of parasites down. That's their job, right? Um I can't realistically keep them in my holding systems. I mean, one six line raspberry would within the first year decide that the holding system is his or hers and, and kill every other six line. Yeah. They're pretty, they're pretty damn territorial. Um, we have those, we have possum wrasses here that I see, that I see on dives. Um, but yeah, so in a, in a captive tank, I was like, um, what are those? Uh, they're green, red on their face. Um, bop, 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 bop. it has been, I am so out of the loop on, on, on aquarium keeping. Um, what's the name of that ras? They're green. They have some red lines. Oh, uh they're great at coral cleaning yeah
0: uh you're talking about melanius uh meloners. Meloners. yeah meloners yes yeah. they're fantastic
1: yeah. so that in for me that was always my go-to yeah. for for keeping my tank clean um but yeah so on for export side it's just not realistic or practical but on the coral farms absolutely i mean you look at the fish that are that are living in and around uh, the the tables and and that is small rasses and they're using them both for protection and keeping them clean. Um, Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, rasses. We don't see. I don't see peppermint shrimp. Yeah, I mean peppermint shrimp are uh, they're. Uh, I think they're American. They're they're New World. I don't even think they're Old World. But we do have like skunk cleaners and things like that. All right, Keith. Here's a warning. I'm getting low battery. Okay. Because right. our outage. So it says 14 minutes. It's rarely accurate. So I, All right. I, might, I might get to, I'm going
0: I'm to hit you with one more question from my viewer, John Wright. Sure. Uh, and this is a good question to wrap it. Tim, where do you see the future in collecting corals from the wild when aquaculture and spawning corals and the hobby is you know, based on where, where everything is going in the hobby? What, what do you think the future holds?
1: So I would, I would if, if, if captive spawning is the, I don't want to say put me out of business, but, but changes my business model, that's a good day you know, if we can, if we can spawn coral in captivity and like, I mean, I've, 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 uh, cracked a beer or two or three with Jamie Crags. Like, I, th- I think what he's doing is amazing. Right. If I've, I've had breakfast with the guy too, uh, I, I would love to see that expand where it's regular, you know, where people are in the home spawning and, and you have people like Rich Ross who are in home spawning, yep. Right. Um, so, so it's a thing and it's, it's, if you have the, Sense if you have the patience and the consistency and the sensory the sensors to know everything is within parameters, it's doable. Um, I always think there's a place for new genetics, especially in a place like this that's so 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 unexplored and so uncollected from, and it's really the frontier of of coral reefs, of at least for the aquarium hobby. Um, or for the dive hobby too. Um, so I think I'll always have a, a place, but, um, if I'm relegated to niche, you know, new, new strains of coral, that just means I get to go diving, exploring more and we pivot. Um, I always want to have a place for coral farmers. This is giving livelihoods yeah. to people that have literally no access to cash. Um, they can, they can subsistence farm for food, but to get money to put their kids into school and buy uniforms, things like that. Like, you know, I always want to have a place where they're getting money, but, um, yeah, if 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 coral spawning takes off, or in-home coral spawning, or at least it changes the marketplace, I think that's a good thing.
0: Well, dude, I think I think you're a very vital, important cog to this um, reef keeping hobby, this whole uh, ecosystem, and um, yeah, I think we got to keep uh, we got to keep the export of corals uh, going strong. So, folks, uh, you know out there, please let's uh, let's support this effort in terms of what is Tim has accomplished and what you're doing out there, man. Really uh, appreciate your work. And I am looking forward, dude, to seeing some uh, purple monster Frag at some point down the line yeah. coming back into the, uh, the aquarium trade. Yeah, twenty twenty-four. So yeah. freaking cool! <laughs> um, Thanks for yeah. having me on. Any uh, any final thoughts, man, before we sign off? Um,
1: I I think if I had a can okay, I finish on yeah, a rant? Yeah, go for it appreciating how, how difficult it is to get wild corals, to get these new strains of corals into the hobby that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, I, I, every time I dive, we find something new. So when, when people in either in Australia or Indonesia or here in the Solomons or in Tonga and they're finding new things, um, instead of trying to like obfuscate where it came from, like, I think it should be celebrated that like, here's a new strain of coral from Australia or a new fish or a new, you know, I'd I'd like to see that day where, um, you know, the species level identification, like, again, like you see in reptiles when like, you know, this Komodo Island, you know, strain of gecko and why that's special. So I'd like, like that to be a thing in coral. And maybe that's just because I think Solomon's is cool. And I'd like people to value it because it's Solomon's, but, um, yeah more more appreciation for for place of origin
0: well man listen i really enjoyed this conversation fascinating uh stuff and thanks uh tim for um making the time to uh to join us out there really uh awesome really really cool stuff thanks for having so everybody that's gonna do it for the uh, show tonight i want to give my sincere thanks to uh to tim for being on the live stream I also want to thank both bulk resupply Nico tech marine for sponsoring the uh the show and thanks to all of you folks out there for tuning in Big thank you to Paul, who is the moderator as well as the president of the Boston Reefers Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. Also want to let you know that all episodes of Wrap on the Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrapping the Reef Bum will be on Tuesday, November 4th. Not November 14th. It's going to be, uh, oh, geez, I got to bring up the calendar. I had the wrong date in my script there, Tim. So I got to look at, uh, I'm back on uh, December 5th. All right, I'm not going to be on next week. I'm back on Thursday, December 5th. And I'm going to be having uh, Mr. Dong Zhou on the program back again. So that should be a uh, another great episode. If you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests, please visit reefbum.com under the YouTube section. So until next time, be safe and be well. Later.